This is the Developing Mach 21 Airman Podcast. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome in to the show. Thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download. However, you might be listening in as you drive home from work or you're getting in that workout at the gym. We definitely appreciate you taking time out to give us a listen. If you get us a chance, we'd certainly appreciate the review or even a few stars thrown our way as well. We always take time to listen to your feedback as we try to make this show a little bit better for you. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force, Big A Airmen, insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education world. Episode number 15 of the pod today, and it's going to be a great one as Lieutenant Colonel Eric Fromm, director of the AETC Integrated Technology Detachment, which is based at the Capitol Factory in Austin, Texas, joins the show and he's going to talk about innovation in the multi-domain operational environment, technology, learning next, how PTN got started, and a whole host of other topics. So it's going to be a lot of fun as we go through this process today. And really, as a command, AETC has been on a journey over the last few years to reimagine what the recruiting, training, and education enterprise looks like and how it operates, developing and inspiring Mach 21 airmen who can step in right away to a multi-domain fight in a highly contested environment and meet combatant commanders' needs is vital to the Air Force's ability to execute its part of the national defense strategy. So innovation and training, as well as working towards a smarter and faster Air Force in terms of acquisitions and producing those lethal and ready airmen is a huge part of how we as a command are working towards the reshaping of how we do business. During the conversation, Colonel Fram talks about his role at the ATID, which is AETC's piece of the AFWorks Austin hub, helping lay down the infrastructure, tools, and resources that teams need to innovate inside their work environment. He also discusses how the ATID works in conjunction with numerous other innovation entities inside this innovation ecosystem to include the AETC staff uh, and the A29. So it's really awesome all the partnerships that happen. And in fact, Colonel Fram talks in depth about the awesome partnership between AETC and the Air Force Research Laboratory to support this emerging innovation mission. One of the really interesting pieces right out of the gate that we talk about is how Pilot Training Next got its start after a joint collaboration on a paper at Air Command and Staff College about the potential of reimagining pilot training through the use of virtual reality and artificial intelligence made its way into a MAGCOM commander's hand. So you don't want to miss that. Another great portion of the pod comes when 
Colonel Fram talks about how the organizational structure needed to attack innovation needs to look like, and his explanation of betting bigger on each step of the Pilot Training Next program is simply eye-opening as he describes on just how you build upon one success by rolling that success over to, in essence, air quotes, bet bigger and work towards that next success. We close out with Learning Next, which is critical to the multi-domain fight and centers around building airmen with the required competencies who can make effective decisions very quickly inside the mission space. Individualized and immersive learning, both elements of that Learning Next concept, and Colonel Fram explains how far students can go when they control learning, and he goes deep into explaining how this process is being used to help us learn how airmen learn. So strap in, acceleration to Mach 21, episode 15 starts right now. Colonel Fram, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, Eric Fram, I'm originally from uh, Washington, DC. I've been in the Air Force, uh, uh, went to the Air Force Academy in 98, uh, graduated in 02 and uh, went to pilot training on a brand new aircraft called the T-6. and uh, so the uh, last class of the first fiscal year of the T-6, uh, moved from there to Offutt, where I flew the RC-135 for about five years, and then uh, over to Beale, where I did a, a way too brief stint with the U-2s and the T-38s over there, and then uh, uh, had the, uh, the, the ability and the, the privilege to uh, um, uh, stand up the MC-12 program and, and took that program. Uh, from uh, uh, pretty much its first uh, deployment, I think I was on its second deployment, but we were we were back at Beale getting everything going, uh, and then uh, uh, so I was out in Iraq for a little while, and then came back and trained up as initial cadre, all the uh, folks that became the permanent party for it, and then uh, we took that one to its uh, its its uh, ultimate place, which is now in the uh, reserve command. Uh, but we were doing the uh, the counterinsurgency fight in Iraq and Afghanistan. Played a played a uh, pretty significant role there. That we were pretty proud of. Um, from that program, I uh, moved into the strategy world in about uh, 2012, uh, no 2014, and um, moved over to Air University, where I was initially at the Wargaming Center, uh, and at the time, uh, Air University was undergoing a transformation with uh, with General Quas to. Um, Try and be uh, try to increase its its uh, uh, operational impact. Uh, so we did a lot of work with uh, uh, within wargaming to speed up the wargaming process. Uh, we took a, a one year process down to about forty five days, and we started focusing it on very specific uh, kind of emerging technologies to evaluate from an operational perspective what its utility would be. Uh, and then that, that converted into a couple of different uh, projects at Air University, uh, which ultimately became a job um, up at Air Force Research Lab. Uh, so I had the uh, uh, great privilege of going up there to work in an office called Strategic Development Planning and Experimentation. And uh, so SDPE does uh, what we call experimentation campaigns uh, to explore emerging technologies and uh, strategies for the Air Force. Uh, so, uh, ran, uh, it was the, the co-lead for, uh, experiment for experimentation within the multi-domain command and control, um, ECCT enterprise 
cross capability collaboration team, I think it is, and I'm probably wrong on that, but ECCT. Um, <laughs> uh, so we were a uh, roving band of, uh, of misfits uh, from around the Air Force uh, uh, traveling around for, for the better part of a year to uh, produce a report on, on how the Air Force should pursue MDC2. Um, and uh, uh, as that was closing down, um, some friends of mine from back at AU had uh, written a paper that I had uh, provided a little bit of advice on uh, for uh, basically a, a way to, to remake pilot training, to bring uh, virtual reality and artificial intelligence into it. And uh, uh, it turned out General Quas had liked the paper so much he wanted to go and try it. Uh, so that became an opportunity to uh, uh, get involved with this thing we call Pilot Training Next, which then turned into an assignment uh, down in Austin uh, to, uh, to lay down the infrastructure that these sorts of innovative teams need to, uh, to operate effectively. And so we at, uh, at SDPE viewed it as a, sort of a uh, experimentation campaign to say, okay, well, how would a MAGCOM innovate across a MAGCOM mission? So these are very large scale problems. Um, and we viewed it as a gap between uh, the various innovation organizations that were getting stood up that, that the MAGCOMs were not being um, given the tools or resources that they needed to pursue innovation at their level. Um, and, uh, and here we had a commander who was, had a, had a uh, very broad, bold visionary statement to address uh, a long-term unsustainability within the pilot force. And he was, he was taking action. And, and we in SDPE were charged with um, essentially cleaning up what happens when we don't address those problems over a long duration. And uh, uh, we were able to make the case successfully that uh, here we had a MAGCOM commander who was being very proactive and thinking ahead and devoting actual resources to that problem. And who are we to not uh, help if that's the case? And so that's what we did. So, uh, so I am actually still on a billet uh, from AFRL. And this, this whole effort, this whole enterprise we've stood up is uh, a result of a, a deep partnership between Air Force Research Lab and AETC to support uh, this, this emerging innovation mission. And um, one of the things that I'm really proud of is that AETC and AFRL have, have put aside uh, a lot of bureaucratic interests that come with trying to get credit uh, and have really focused on uh, how, do we, how do we just be very effective. And um, uh, I think we have, we have started to prove out that case and we're starting to see the other managecoms take notice of what's going on down here and uh, starting to, to duplicate that model. Uh, so that's been a big part of what I've been trying to do is, is produce this as a model that others can follow um, and can make their own. Uh, and I think we've had some success at that. Um, the other things we've been doing uh, across you know, the, this innovation ecosystem that we've created here are trying to connect these projects into a cohesive whole that advance the MAGCOM's uh, interests and that uh, use resources very efficiently. So you're at Austin, you talked about it, the Capital Factory up there, AFWorks Austin Hub is up there. So it's a, it's a pretty lively bunch up mm -hmm. there in Austin. But um, for those that may not know, can you talk about the ATID, the Technology Integration Detachment, what it is, what the goal is? Yeah, so, uh, you know, and there's another partnership I didn't even mention. Uh, so half A8I is uh, AFWorks. Uh, AFWorks is the uh, uh, the innovation arm of the Air Force. Uh, it is a more airman-focused version of uh, that innovation arm that, that half has stood up. The, the other 
The other half being AFWIC, which I would say is is more of a half focused, you know, gigantic Air Force service level problems, uh, is what is what AFWIC works on. AFWIC AFWORKS uh, works on uh, uh, empowering airmen, and uh, and so AFWORKS stood up a hub in Austin, um, and uh, uh, we at AETC were essentially the launch customer for that hub, and uh, we devoted that hub to being very project focused. Uh, the ATID is AETC's representation at the AFWORKS hub. Uh, the ATID stands for the AETC Technology Integration Detachment. And uh, uh, so we have a, a, a very small band of uh, very, very talented people that we have um, um, begged, borrowed and stolen uh, from around the Air Force. Um, and again, deep partnership with the Texas Guard, uh, Major General Farrell has been extraordinarily supportive of us and has given us the, the cream of the Texas crop uh, to, to get after all these problems. Um, so she's given us uh, uh, seven of her top people, um, everything from uh, public affairs support to force support officers uh, to log logisticians. Um, and then uh, we've also gotten uh, assistance from AFICA, the Air Force, uh, boy, I'm going to screw this one up too, Institutional Contracting Agency, I believe, um, which is part of uh, Air Force Materiel Command. And uh, they have given us uh, one of the top contracting officers in the Air Force. Um, and uh, uh, so we've aligned uh, uh, financial management with program management, with contracting support, um, with the developmental planning that strategic development planning and experimentation brings in to tie these projects together to provide a uh, staff liaison to make sure ultimately that we put the MAGCOM's resources to work after these innovation uh, projects and, and to get after these objectives we've set down. Um, so we do not control any of the projects. We advise the projects, we advise the commander, uh, and we advise the staff. Um, on, on best practices and we advocate for the projects. Uh, but the way, that, the way that AETC has structured itself around these projects is to appoint um, uh, somebody we, we call uh, uh, the SLU. We named him after uh, SLU Vickers who did PTN. So we appoint a SLU who is the, the, the project lead um, to, uh, to go after a defined set of objectives. So with our maintenance next project. Uh, we were looking at, at how do I create a, a fantastic troubleshooter out of the maintenance career force uh, at a very, very young age. Um, well, that's great for maintenance, but uh, uh, that doesn't, doesn't get after the, the broader MAGCOM problem, which is how do we get our airmen ready for the, the multi-domain fight uh, that's coming uh, and that some would argue is already here? Uh, how do we get people to be able to think well beyond their career field, well beyond their training and experience to solve a, an extraordinarily dynamic problem of uh, synchronizing airspace cyber um, in a very highly contested environment where, oh, by the way, you're completely cut off from leadership. Uh, so mission type orders, how do you move out? How do you integrate these forces together? Um, the future we think we're heading towards is one where we're going to ask a, a, a captain in an aircraft to make decisions that, that are right now uh, um, uh, reserved uh, really at the, at the, the uh, Air Operations Center level. Um, and for, uh, for a maintainer, uh, you know, how, do you, how do you turn an aircraft that potentially you have very little experience on? How do, you, how do you flip it around and get it back into the air as quickly as possible 
in a very austere environment, yet do it in a way that the airplane's not going to fall out of the sky. Uh, that's a very hard problem. And uh, right now, we, we don't have a, a great ability um, to do that. So, uh, and that's just not the way we've, we've structured our training programs. And, uh, and we, don't, we don't really know if it's even possible. So that's what we are uh, going out there and exploring and, and uh, being ready to do. But, but the problem is, is that you, you put this fantastic uh, person in charge of that project. Uh, now they need to learn the acquisition system. They have to uh, advocate for the resourcing they need. Um, and oh, by the way, they have to go and remake this career field from the ground up. Uh, that's a very tall order. And what we wanted to do was provide all the backend services as, as a, uh, just a, a function that, that makes it as easy as possible. So these, these folks need advocacy. They need, um, they need support from the staff. Uh, and uh, it's a very complex process to work itself through. And if we're trying to do this quickly, uh, we, we, have to, we, have to make, we have to make that available to them on a very rapid time scale. And we need to do it in a way that allows that, that, uh, that SLU, that project leader, to, uh, to just get to work and to concentrate on the real problem that we're trying to get at, which is how do we, how do we uh, train these multi-domain airmen for the future? And really, it also ties back to not just the MDO, but also the Air Force's need for, you know, lethality and readiness in the airmen that, that we train here in AETC and that are operating out in that operational environment. So really, you guys are a real touch point there. How tough has it been, you know, to stand all this up and all the things that come with the stand up and then still kind of make some headway on some cool projects and things that are really attacking uh, Air Force problems? Yeah, it's it's been a a blast uh but but it has been tough uh we have we have been working really really hard uh our team and i uh for the last uh, year or so to get this to get this off the ground and and uh working for probably a good six or eight months very hard to get to get to the place where we could even stand something up uh we're really proud of the progress we've made we have some just just uh, i know it's trite and everybody says this all the time we have some great people um and uh um you know, we, we work very hard to get uh, people who can work with a very large degree of autonomy and uh, start something up from scratch. Um, but it's, a, it's been a, a terrific learning experience, I think, for all of us to learn how to build where there is nothing, but yet move these projects forward simultaneously. It's been an incredibly demanding environment. I think it will continue to be, uh, but uh, uh, we're really proud of the, the progress we've made. And so, it, and on the innovation front in AETC, it's not like you're, uh, you know, a, a one-shot band. You also work in conjunction with others like A29 uh, on the staff. Can you talk about that AETC innovation ecosystem and how you fit in and how it all kind of works together? Well, you know, and that's been a, that's been another part of the fun is uh, is figuring out how we structure ourselves around this problem. Uh, we are very good at operating established programs and squeezing the last ounce of efficiency out of that. It's something that the Air Force really excels at, frankly. Uh, uh, but, but that's a very different problem from uh, go explore this concept and see if it's even valid. Uh, that, and, and how do you do that? And how do you, how do you justify spending those resources that have been given to us as, as, uh, you know, as, as a valid expense? when I don't really know what the results are. Uh, and so, so it becomes very, very important to have uh, people who are experienced with, uh, with the funding process and the personnel process um, 
uh, as advocates. And that's what uh, ATCA 29 provides to us is is uh, uh, that that level of support. Uh, it also uh, gives us uh, access to a little bit more rank than we have. So it, it helps helps uh, to to get people's minds wrapped around it. Um, you know, and it's a challenge being up in Austin. Uh, we're only 90 minutes away from from uh, Randolph here. But uh, but really, once you cross the fence and, and once you leave the headquarters building, you're you're on the moon. Um, so uh, so they are the local representatives here. Uh, and they are the ones who are um, uh, working with uh, with the commander to lay out the the innovation priorities um, and to uh, work through this process that they've instantiated that um, that tries to gather all the ideas that are out there and um, morph them into something that makes sense for the for the command to go after. Uh, we get a lot of ideas over at A9Z. And um, uh, through this process, we call the I2I process, idea to innovation process. Um, and uh, they're doing a great job of, of culling that down, uh, putting it in front of uh, essentially an advisory board of, of, you know, of the commander and uh, their generals um, and all the key players from around the staff to say, is, is this something that fits into this, this uh, broad innovation vision that we have of, of what AETC is going to look like to support this this multi-domain enterprise. And we talk about it all the time in AETC that we have to modernize our, our learning opportunities to train our airmen, um, not just better, but faster and more efficiently, all those things that really matter, um, especially when we're accountable to the U.S. taxpayer for how we're spending our dollars and how are we keeping pace with our uh, peer and near-peer adversaries uh, across the world. But when you look at innovation in terms of lethality and readiness at the end of the day and developing our, our total force, um, how do you see innovation um, really be, being so important in that job? So I, I think it's important to note that there are, there are a million different types of innovation. They are all important to pursue. Uh, and they, they do not need a dedicated innovation organization to pursue them. Uh, I think, though, that when you are talking about something that is uh, a truly untested concept, um, we have to be prepared to, uh, uh, to set an organization aside because these untested concepts will be, by their nature, inefficient at the beginning, uh, halting progress, uh, and require a lot of support and care and feeding. And if we're not careful, uh, and if we put it in the wrong place, i.e. a place that's also concerned with continuing operations and, and these uh, doing these activities that are already up and running and effective and have been run in a very efficient way, um, you know, we, we place a lot of rules and procedures to ensure that something is going to be effective. Uh, but those rules and procedures get in the way and they become questions that have to be answered that are unanswerable for these newer concepts. And that's why you have to set it aside. Um, as far as resourcing that is concerned, one of the, w one of the things that we have done um, within the ATID and within AATC is say that before we're going to invest a dollar in these concepts, we want to see that there's some reason to believe we can get a 10x return on it. Uh, so that would be, you know, so if for every dollar I'm putting in, I want to see a dollar return. Now, not everything is going to be realizable in a financial savings. Some of it could be um, a, uh, a mission impact or an effect that we can generate that we can't generate right now. 
and and those those are things that are harder to measure in terms of dollars. Um, but we can try and we can get there. And so what we do is we before we invest any money uh, or people or time into a project, we try to really discern out what is the opportunity space here and what gives us reason to believe this can be successful. And what that often means is uh, the opportunity is is relatively easy to imagine. Uh, but the effectiveness is hard to discern. So what we do is we bet very, very small and we demand, uh, we demand um, I don't like the term, but a quick win. Um, uh, quick wins in most people's parlance is, uh, is, is usually a, a relatively meaningless win. Um, that's what I've seen a lot. Uh, but, uh, but we demand a win that happens quickly. So it needs to be a legit uh, yeah, this concept is valid. We have some reason to believe in this. We have some reason to bet bigger on this. And then we take the next little step. And then we take a little bit bigger step after that. Uh, and you can see this process unfolding within PTN. Um, we made a very, very small bet uh, out of AU. We wrote a paper. Then we made a little bit bigger bet through AU. Uh, we conducted some experiments. Uh, and and uh, we partnered with Columbus Air Force Base to take over a sim for a couple of days. But this is still a pretty small bet. We you know, brought some people in and that kind of thing. But it was, it was time it, more than money, a little bit of TDY. And we said, oh, hey, we were just able to, in this pilot program, take uh, people out of the JAG school who had never flown before and teach them how to fly a pattern in an afternoon. Well, that's different. That's something we can't do today. What if we could do that for pilots? What if we took over a pilot training class uh, and, uh, and just took, took 20 students through uh, is, is that something that's, that, you know, what's, what's the comparative opportunity? Well, the, the opportunity is, you know, if you did this across all of flying in the Air Force, it's probably a billion or $2 billion a year. Uh, well, okay, that, this sounds interesting, but how does it solve an ATC problem? Well, we have this, this, this uh, pilot crisis, and, you know, if we were to go into uh, a high-order fight and lose a large percentage of our pilots, we have basically a very low, very low ability to reconstitute ourselves quickly. This could get us there. Uh, it could also experiment with these other theories we've had about these aggressive learners, uh, people who can be put into a sea of information and figure it out for themselves. Uh, can we do that with this pilot training thing? And all of a sudden it starts looking like, you know what, this is gonna cost us a lot of money. It's gonna cost us uh, um, uh, aircraft and instructors that could otherwise be training people in a, in a known system. But if this is right, they're gonna be training pilots. So you know, maybe this isn't that much of a cost. So what's the money? Okay, we think this is an affordable bill, but it is a significant bill. So we, we had some, you know, important discussions about that. But we ultimately committed the money. Uh, and it was a it was a large bet. And uh, the bet paid off. And now we're, you know, we we're now we're continuing that experimentation with with a, a larger bet. And we're and we are um, beginning to talk about how do we incorporate this into uh, into 19th Air Force itself and into the way we, we operate. Uh, and that's going to involve a larger outlay of money. Uh, but it's still not, okay, great, let's, this, we're done, we've learned the lesson, let's go, let's go field it. Um, and uh, we're just gonna, we'll just you know, spend a really large sum of money and, uh, and take a risk with a great operation that's been up and running for a long time. Um, you know, we're making these small halting bets that are experience-based and are, are based on true measured effectiveness. And I just, as we get closer to wrapping up, I just kind of wanted to touch on learning next. And we talked about, like, for example, pilot training next, but that learning next mindset. Could you kind of talk about 
what that really means because you, you, you hear the term next and it's been applied to a few different things, but but it's really part of a, a broader picture and that's that learning next thought process. So could you just talk about that? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I touched on it real briefly there uh, within the, the pilot training next context. Uh, what, what we are interested in doing is, and what we, what we think we need for the multi-domain fight are airmen who can think very broadly, very quickly, uh, in an, in an, uh, an area with very little guidance. Um, and, uh, so learning next, uh, centers around finding these aggressive learners who can take disparate pieces of information, uh, collect it together and make a very effective decision without a lot of guidance. And so that is the environment we're trying to put people in. Uh, so we, we give them access to a wealth of information. Um, we, uh, uh, and then we, we try to create a learning environment that allows them to accelerate at their pace. Um, and what we have found uh, through this thing we called individualized and immersive learning uh, is that, that that is the key. So the individualized piece is the, uh, the ability to allow them to move at their pace instead of at the pace of a syllabus, um, which is effectively a lowest common denominator pace in the way we've implemented it. Um, uh, and so, so that is the individualized piece. The immersive piece is, is a place where uh, there isn't necessarily a, a direct go-do for the day. There is, there is a series of objectives for the training program. There are some milestones that they need to hit. Uh, but, uh, but essentially there are just competencies laid out and there are real metrics to judge when they have achieved those competencies. Uh, but it's up to the learner to just determine, uh, how best to get there given the information that's available to them. So in the case of Power Trainer Next, we give them all the information they need, uh, uh, all the traditional phases of pilot training of, uh, contact instrument formation, navigation, are open to them at any one time, what we're really interested in is can you fly a plane? And what we find is they jump to the thing that most interests them right now, which is uh, usually the stuff that's most difficult. It's, it's instrument and formation flying. And they jump right to it and they start for themselves filling in all the blanks that get them there. And so these things that when I went through pilot training took me six months to get to, uh, they're now doing literally on day one. And so we have students who on their first flight are flying instrument approaches down to minimums in the weather, and they're not doing it perfectly. They need an instructor, but they're getting it done. Uh, and then on their third ride are flying formation to and from the area. This is not, you know, tactical formations where they're ready to go to go fight in a fighter, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's effective formation that gets you to and from an area without a whole lot of maneuvering. But these are things that are unimaginable previously. And what we're seeing is learners exposed to this environment are able to accelerate well beyond, on average, uh, well, well beyond uh, what the uh, syllabus um, would otherwise dictate. Um, and they're, they're able to train much faster at a much lower cost point and, uh, and with much higher levels of satisfaction for their experience. So, uh, but what we think more importantly this boils up to is an airman that is much more independent and uh, much more capable of operating in this environment that we think we're heading towards. And it that learning next mindset really talks to the paradigms that we're trying to, to bust, you know, we're making competencies that an airman has is now the standard for them, not 
the time that right. well it's it's a one year training program so we've got to have them here for a year if they can get to those competencies in half of that time maybe that's the right answer and that's kind of what we're looking at here is is really revolutionizing how we really view that development of our force through recruiting training and education but i think that one thing that's really important to note is it's not about cutting cost and it's not about cutting time out of the timeline those could be outcomes. That's a leadership decision, and that's a it's it's really a resourcing decision. Uh, this is about competencies. There's always another competency we can train somebody to do, or frankly, cut if we felt like it. Uh, what we want to do is is um, uh, be able to minimize the time and resources it takes to get to a given competency, and what that creates, if you were to look at a, a time-based schedule, uh, it creates white space for resourcing. So I can cut time out of the schedule, uh, which would save money or get somebody to the field faster. Or I could say, you know what, the, the, the timeline that I have right now is perfectly fine. I'm happy with it. The resourcing I have right now is perfectly fine. I'm happy with it. Uh, I'm going to use this additional time that I've been given or this additional white space that I've been given to train to a different level of competency. And now we can get a better airman in the same amount of time uh, um, or, or anything in between. So, uh, so that's really what this is about is, is how do we get to a competency-based system, which is the effect we're really trying to generate here. You know, how do I get to a, a, the, a given level of competency as quickly and as efficiently as possible? And in a way that generates this next generation effect that we're trying to create, which is this multi-domain thinker who is uh, more lethal and ready uh, for these highly contested environments that, that you know, we, we hope to never see, but, but boy, we better be ready. Absolutely. And what just exciting times, right, to be an airman in AETC with innovation and, and just really looking at how we're doing business with real innovation kind of as the cornerstone of, of how we're doing business. It's really exciting. But I want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you guys got a lot going on, but uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you. It's been fun. Just a ton to unpack on the pod today. Truly an in-depth conversation centered on the first command's journey with innovation and how learning next is impacting how we recruit, train, and educate our future airmen along the continuum of learning as we attack those big Air Force priorities of more lethal and ready airmen and a smarter, faster Air Force. So big thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Fromm for taking time out of his schedule to join us on the pod today. As a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. For our entire AETC public affairs team, I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on Developing Mach 21 Airmen.